The Law Report on SAFM. Well, after the country's first democratic elections in 1994, the government devised various policies which are aimed at reducing the effects that the previous government's unequal policies had on the masses. And in particular, in the formal business environment, it was necessary that formal steps be taken to help the previously disadvantaged people to positively contribute and participate in the economy. On the 11th of October 2013, the Minister of Trade and Industry, Dr. Rob Davies, gazetted the revised Broad-Based Black Economic Empowerment, or triple BEE codes. The new codes will replace the existing BEE codes of good practice when they come into operation. And just a reminder, my guests this evening are Attorney Nicolene Skumanlo, a Director of Skuman Chaka Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries Public, and Lorna Powell, a Director of Sales Partners, Cape Town. If you have any questions for us on this topic, you can call us now on 0892 10 Nicolene, we've been talking for the last few times that you've been here about this upcoming seminar that you're going to be holding on this very topic, and it's now coming up. The time is approaching. Yeah, we will be hosting it um, at the Cape Town Club on the 10th of June, and it would be the first of of, uh, its kind, um, our Triple BE Symposium, as we've uh, christened it. We've also launched its own dedicated Facebook page with all sorts of useful tips on BE and related compliance and business sustainability and, and sales measures. So it's really a useful pool for information. And um, the symposium itself will take the form of panel discussions around the various new scorecard elements, which um, have been reduced to five. So around four of those elements, um, the only one we are excluding at the moment, purely because compliance um, from a practical perspective hasn't shown as much of a challenge as the other remaining four would. Um, And we would basically have very diverse panels for speakers from various industries, sharing their tips on on compliance, their challenges, um, and really uh, having a very proactive and constructive discussion around each of those elements. Um, And then, of course, the attendees would also be open to ask uh, our panelists some questions. So really to, to, as opposed to just focusing on the regulations and what we think they they are going to mean when they become effective next year, April, um, really to to focus more concretely on um, some practical measures of of compliance and business strategy as it may be. So this is already in place now, but it's not coming into effect until next year. Yes, it's been passed through Parliament, it's law, um, for lack of a better phrase, and um, in, in April 2015, the codes will become compulsory. So up until then, or as we said, the transitional period leading up into um, April 2015, um, businesses effectively have a choice whether or not to apply the old codes to their scoring or the new codes. Um, And then after April 2015, um, there would be no choice from then uh, going onwards. So what is the big difference? What is changing well, essentially, if you look at the elements, and, and just for ease of reference to the listeners, I'll, I'll mention the old codes uh, or the elements of those codes and then compare them to the new ones very briefly. The old codes are basically centered around the elements of ownership, management, employment equity, skills development, enterprise development, preferential procurement, and corporate social investment. Those were your seven scorecard elements. They have now been reduced to five, uh, being ownership, management employment, and employment equity become one element, 
and will be known as management and uh, control. Then skills development has its own dedicated element still. Uh, enterprise and supplier development is a fusion or a, a merger of enterprise development and preferential procurement. And then corporate social event, uh, investment remains the same. So essentially the seven have now been reduced to five with a merger of, of one uh, of, of four elements essentially into two. How does sales fit into all of this? It's not just sales, it's business. And, and the, the, the whole idea really is to get a, a discussion going within companies as to what they can do and how they can approach it. Whether it's from a sales or a buying perspective, in some respects you're dealing with other companies who may or may not be triple BE compliant. So it's, it's really important to understand who your market is from a sales perspective, but equally from a supplier perspective, you need to know who you're talking to and how to talk to them. And you're going to be at the symposium? Absolutely, yes. We're going to be facilitating uh, in terms of ensuring that the audience participate along with the panellists, which is really, really key for this. And it's one of the things that we believe make the whole thing different, is that there's actually going to be quite a lot of audience participation so that they can get their fears, their, their understandings, their, their questions resolved. I just had a question here. It says SMMEs only have to score on four of the seven. How many now? Um, SMMEs, um, and let, let's, let's speak scorecard language for a minute, there are three levels of compliance. Your first level of compliance is your exempt micro-enterprises, or as we know it in industry, the EMEs. They are currently uh, turnover-based between 0 and 5 million. Then you've got your QSEs, or your qualified small enterprises, which are currently rated between 5 and 30 million in turnover and then your full compliance level and that's obviously in terms of old scorecard language 30 and above now let's quickly look at new scorecard language just for a minute EMEs same same applies but the threshold has increased so 0 to 10 million QSEs 10 to 50 million and then full compliance so when you're talking about partial compliance in terms of selecting elements albeit four in terms of the old regulations or three in terms of the new regulations. Um, so they would only now have to comply with three elements as opposed to four previously. No, um, my one, let me just count you one, two, three, four again. Oh, four my, again. Okay. My apologies. Um, but there, there's, there's a few exceptions to the rule, and we'll get to that in a minute. But your QSEs are the ones that can select specific elements for compliance purposes. And they are in that the bracket of 5 to 30 or 10 to 50 million in turnover. So previously you could select four of the elements in any of your choosing. Now the big um, change is that ownership is non-negotiable. Non it has to be one of your selected elements of compliance and then you can elect whether you comply with skills development or enterprise and supply development, one of the two. So you have an election between those two, but one of those must be, must be present and ownership must be present in your compliance. Okay, there's another one here, question says, the scope of the bracket is dependent on the industry sector. Yes. Um, what we have been talking about, let me just clarify that for, for the listeners, is the generic scorecard. 
In other words, the scorecard that applies to all industries that do not have their own specific scorecard. So construction, as an example, has their own specific scorecard with different, um, different ratings, with different measurements. So it's quite important that, that when you do consult with someone to get advice on, on both the strategy and the legal compliance of this, um, that they that they understand your industry and that they understand which scorecard would apply in that instance. It's sounding like people really need to come to the symposium because I'm getting seriously confused. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm sure the people listening out there are thinking, no, hang on, wait, let me make some notes. But all the information is on the Facebook page. Which yes. one? Um, both, are, from from a firm perspective, we are running all the updates on both the pages, the Skuman Shaka um, Facebook page, as well as the Triple BEE Symposium page. Okay, so they go onto Facebook, look for Triple BEE Symposium. Yes, and, then and they'll all find that it. information is on there. Yes, okay. we've got some nice articles on there that we've written across um, the couple, last couple of months in anticipation of the new codes that have now become effective or recently become e effective. And um, we'll also be sharing um, uh, the profiles of the speakers um, and more information around the symposium as, as the build-up becomes closer. Now, sadly, this is only happening in Cape Town. Unfortunately, <laughs> for now. For now, for now. But the listeners are able to attend this. Of course. They can, I mean, they can fly down from Johannesburg. It's True. not a problem. And you said that if the listeners want to come, there's a special little... Surprise Absolutely. What what we've done tonight is specifically for those people who are listening to uh, SAFM and the Law Report tonight, what we've done is we've developed a special code word, which is Club SAFM. So for those of you who would like to have 10% discount off the the early bird offer, which is available until the end of the week, in other words, to the end of Friday, so that's midnight on Friday night, if when they get to the Quicket uh, page and which they can get to simply by googling triple B E Quicket and and they'll find the page very very easily. It's on the top of the list there. I tested it tonight before I came out and type in when it asks for code Club S A F M, then they will get an extra ten percent on their tickets. Oh, well, that's rather nice. Yeah. But the sounds of it, though, you're going to have to start taking this around the country. I mean, just just yeah, I feel quite sort of bad that we're just keeping it here in Cape Town. Well, we're launching it. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> right, let's put let's, it that we'll way. Let's put it that way. We're launching it. So, Lorna, tell me a little bit more about what you're going to be doing at the symposium. Okay, so what I'm going to be doing is actually helping to facilitate to ensure that it's not only the panellists that do a discussion. You know when you normally go to a conference, you've got someone standing there and all they do is talk to you. Okay, so this is intended to be different. This is intended to have two, three or four people on stage who actually form a panel in the same way that you see in the United States. You have the, the USA president discussing various yes. things mm. so so this is that kind of thing we don't have the USA presidents but we do have some incredibly wonderful people from industry in South Africa on stage who are going to be discussing and we're going to be involving the audience in those in those discussions so if they've if the audience have specific questions that they want answered we we can enable that to happen for them and and really for us that's the big difference so you basically facilitate yeah absolutely yes Right. And just a reminder that you tuned to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Karen Key, and this is The Law Report. My guests tonight are attorney Nicolene Skumanlo, a director of Skuman Chaka Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries Public, practicing here in Cape Town, and Lorna Powell, a director of Sales Partners Cape Town. And tonight we're discussing Triple BEE. So if you have any questions for us, you can call us on 0892 10 2010, 0892 10 
2010. Now, I was doing some research before we came. I had to do that because otherwise I would have been totally confused. And there are a little few contentious issues in these codes. Yeah, what? definitely. Um, well, the most topical, I think, from, from a practical perspective is most certainly the, the aspect of ownership being non-negotiable as a selection element, or let's, let's refer to it as a selection element for the QSEs, um, specifically because everyone has been getting used to being able to select their elements um, without any regulation as to which elements should enjoy preference. Um, so that's that's been very contentious. And uh, from the legislator's perspective, when, when these codes were debated at parliamentary level before enactment, it was quite clear from private industry that, that it wasn't perceived as a very positive step. Um, of course, there's always two sides to a story, and the legislator's perspective was that it, it's been around for, for 10 years, uh, going on a little more, and um, we, we need to be at a point where we have ownership structures in place already. And the reality is many businesses actually don't. So for, for many businesses, this is a very um, contentious point and, and often a very difficult one to, to really get their heads around in terms of what strategies are available. And we often hear people then say things like, um, I'm being forced into a partnership or, or something like that, a very negative connotation. Whilst there are various uh, ways and means of, of structuring it from a strategic perspective to be compliant and to be compliant on a basis that would actually facilitate a long-term ownership strategy. So, um, for example, uh, your employee share schemes have shown a lot of success when implemented at the right stage and with the right employees and with the right management structures in place in terms of managing that trust. Um, it's usually set up in a form of a trust and the, the shareholding is then uh, housed therein until the, the shareholding is fully paid where after it's then the share certificates would then be released to, to the beneficiaries of the trust. There's been a number of very successful cases along those mm. lines, in, especially in the wine industry. Yes. There's a lot of the wine farms here in the Western Cape have done that and it seems to be working really well. Yes, definitely when it when it goes coupled with a, with a strategy. Um, I think one cannot blanket any solution in terms of sure. these structures, but uh, many of them have maintained a trust structure and never released those share certificates to the individuals who are to benefit from it. Um, and if it's thought out with, with good purpose and everyone understands and has an aligned expectation, then, then those work really well. Simultaneously, those that have the purpose of paying up the shares so that it's low risk for the business involved in terms of the ownership transfer um, would then would then also facilitate further involvement of those specific employees through the other management structures and maybe even being in the position to putting cash down on the table to to then buy more shares and actually go through skills development programs, um, director training and all sorts of programs to eventually end up being a very useful member of, of any of the boards. So if those are structured in a way to, to have a long-term purpose in mind, they work really, really well. Similarly, there are other structures um, involving uh, NPCs, as we now know them, the old Section 21 companies that become shareholders within the business 
And that business is then able to regulate exactly who benefit from the, the monies uh, in terms of dividends and profits that get declared um, and who actually benefits from it. So there's a number of structures without handpicking someone um, and saying, let's let's be partners in a business and, and not really planning or doing your due diligence or any of those considerations. So um, it's not a case of looking necessarily for, for that partner, but they could very well. Similarly, they've been very, very good success stories by, by looking for partnerships, for joint ventures. There are many options, not just the, the case of, of giving ownership away. Well, you see, that's what the whole point is. You see, people hear that, you know, you've got your, now it's compulsory. There's this ownership thing. Mm. And everyone's like, oh, I'm losing my business now. Yeah. But you have to look, it's more than just that. It's it's a bigger picture. If, if I may say, it's mm. a little bit like environmental strategy. I mean, years and years ago when we had to try mm. and save the planet, you know, everyone said oh my word it's going to cost it's going to yeah but they all said oh it's going to cost me a lot of money you know but but in in fact nobody thought hey you know you change a normal light bulb for an electricity saving one and actually you put the right strategy in place it's going to save you money it's going to grow your business it's going to grow your profit and for me it's exactly the same thing it's really a case of how you think about it and Mm. how innovative you are in putting the strategies in place so that that's in in some respects where sales partners come in is is we also help you think a bit differently and think out of the box box. Mm. in terms of what you're doing because yeah sure you can just follow the step by step by step it doesn't always work for every single industry you need to think what industry am I in what am I doing how am I doing this what can I do right and let's face it saving electricity if we go back to the environmental thing is not not the appropriate way for every industry in some it works it's the same with BEE what's the best way to implement it in your company and that's the real question right you have Umfalini on the line in Durban Umfalini good evening good evening Hello, do you have a question for my guests? Yes, thank you for taking my call. Only a pleasure. Mm. Yeah, mine is just a, a, a quick question. Uh, on the ESD, that is uh, Enterprise and Supply Development, mm-hmm. that if I were to have spend more on Enterprise Development, the five, the five points, mm-hmm. what will happen with the remaining extra points? Can I transfer them to... The supply development portion, that is the 10 points. Well, that would really depend on exactly how you're spending. Um, essentially, as, as we know, the, each scorecard element carries a certain percentage points. And to calculate the, the score on those points, you have to look at the mathematical side of, of the calculation. And that's really ve- where our verification agents get involved, as you know. So it, it's about where you spend your money. It's about how you structure your spend. So if you look at enterprise okay. development, it's it's about the spend that you 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 incur, but it's also on the agreement that you've entered into with the enterprise de- that you are trying to develop or empower as such. So there yeah. are many strategies of, of achieving that. And for example, to to just pick up the construction uh, industry for a minute, they they've got a a range of priority items for the smaller contractors, which they recommend that businesses who are spending on enterprise development consider when they build their strategy. So one really has to go back and see what you are doing in your strategy and what legal documents you have in place to do the data collection, with, which ultimately buys you the points. Okay, let, let me have this specific. Say, uh, out of my 3% of net profit after tax, mm-hmm. uh, remember 2% is for supply development, mm-hmm. and then the 1% is for the 
external enterprises. Mm-hmm. But now, these enterprises that I'm spending on, the value of the amount or, 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 or the contribution to mm-hmm. the beneficiaries are within my industry, and it's, it's actually making it 3%. Mm-hmm. But now I still have this 10%, I mean 10 points that I need to get from supply development. Can the extra points, remember it's, it's, it's 5 points on, on the 1% mm-hmm. that I get. Yes. So can the extra points, because say it happens that no, I realize that my budget now it's, I'm left with a, I've got a shortfall on supply development. Can I take from the 3% that I've already spent on enterprise? Mm-hmm. That is my question. Uh, in theory, no, but there, there may be other ways in, in which to facilitate the outcome that you that you require. And that's what I'm trying to say is we have to see in which industry you what industry you belong to. We'll have to take the scorecard and we'll actually have to sit down and see what your strategy is all about in order to see how we can change it so that you could benefit from from those points being allocated to a different portion. It, it depends largely on how you are doing it, not really the amount of money that you're spending. And that's what we've picked up with many businesses that should be compliant in terms of what they're telling us, but it's not showing on their scorecard. Okay. Say, say for argument's sake, the, the very same suppliers that I'm developing, that are, uh, I mean, uh, the enterprises that are outside my, 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 my mm-hmm. supplier base, but I was in my industry. Yes. I, 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 I rope them into my, my vendor base, yes. having already spent the three percent of my net profit after tax. Can they can that automatically translate into both supplier and enterprise development and get the full point? Depending on how you structure it, it is possible. Oh, okay. No, thank you. Let me give other colours a chance. I've just had a, a note here that says that enterprise development needs a formal written agreement yes. to be valid. Exactly. That's that's um, one of no no no. One see, of see, see, all those things are done. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, what I've spent is already three percent. Yes. It is the, the the two plus one. But now remember, the two should be for 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 enter for for for, for supply development. Yes. So that is my concept. Yes. Now it's possible, but, but it needs to be structured correctly. That's that's what I'm trying to say. It's, okay. it, it could very well be possible, but it, it depends on how it's been structured. And we, we see it with many businesses that they should be compliant in terms of their spend. And that's, that's often a concern for many of our clients that I am spending, I am doing all the right things, but it's not showing on my scorecard. And nine out of ten times we found that the data collection isn't properly done and the agreements are not properly executed, which means you can't, it's like an audit. If you, if you can't prove the spend, it didn't happen. So it's all about the data collection and, and how you go about doing it. So um, if, if you are interested in me having a look at the documents uh, offline, um, you can send Karen the details and then we can, we can get in touch and I can give you a better answer once I've actually seen how you do things. Okay. All right. Stuff. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks. Good luck to you. Good night. Well, if you have any questions for us, we're talking about Triple BEE this evening. Any questions at all about the new laws, the new codes of practice, the good practice, um, you can call us on 0892 10 2010, 0892 10 
2010. And we were talking about things that were causing concern with these new, mm. the new act. One, I think, is, is also employment equity is another one. Yeah, employment equity has now been merged with management control. And um, to, to my understanding, the, the major concern there, and previously we've also seen in, in, with our clients that in, in terms of being compliant under the old codes, under employment equity, you had very clear measurables in terms of divisions in management structure. So your, your junior level, your, your mid-range and, and your senior management levels. And depending on how you've placed your people in terms of them being from the designated groups and, and for just for record purposes um, and for context for our listeners, black is in the broad sense of the word. So in a nutshell, anything other than, than a white person or someone who is not um, a South African national. So broadly speaking, there are exceptions to the rule and all these things. Um, but broadly speaking, even even our Chinese or Asian nationals that, that are South African citizens also fall under these codes. Uh, that took a few few years to resolve and to clarify, but it's now very much part of the law. So we had these divisions in the employment equity um, uh, element, and it made it relatively easy to measure. If you had a proper employment equity plan in place, then it was relatively easy for you to measure those points and to see where there were any concerns in, in compliance, and you could then um, resolve that. But with it merging with management control, which was essentially a measurement of decision-making on a much higher board level, on a strategic decision-making level within the business, um, those are very two, dif two very different concepts, but they've now been merged into one element. And uh, some of, of our verification agents are very concerned as to how we will actually measure um, if, it's, if compliance isn't what we think it should be. Um, the measurables are going to become much harder in that space. So employment equity is def definitely one of one of the elements of concern. So how does this change for business? I mean, what are they going to, I mean... At this point in time, um, the new codes, uh, as with the ownership element and um, the fact that it's compulsory and the fact that if many businesses do not... Do not want to see other solutions or change their way of thinking, as Lorna was saying. Then, um, then we we sit at a point where if you don't comply with that compulsory element as a QSE, you automatically fall one level. So if you score high, let's say level level four, which is which is a pretty average but good score, you would now, without doing anything wrong per se, and without necessarily doing anything differently in a negative way, you would automatically fall a level and you'll become a level five, or as the the scoring of the different levels have also changed, the, the weighting allocation, so actually, in fact, you'll be falling to a level six and not just a level five, and not just because you haven't complied with ownership, but because the ratings have, have changed across the, the levels, which is also... Um, very contentious issue because without doing anything negative or changing or refusing to comply, those who are actually compliant at a, an acceptable level will now fall two levels if you don't comply with ownership. And if you do comply with ownership, you'll still fall another level. So let's say you retain your level four status by implementing employ, um, ownership structures because the weighting of the different levels have changed, you may find yourself being a level four. So it's really crucial for us to, to unpack these things 
And at the moment, the, the law is not drafted clearly enough for us to say exactly what your challenges will be. We are all speculating. We need to be very honest about that. None of this has been tested in a court of law. Nothing, no one has taken any concerns to a court. Um, in fact, very few have been scored in terms of the new codes. Um, in fact, I don't know of any businesses that have voluntarily scored themselves under the new codes. Is gender coming into this new code? Yes, and um, along with the labor legislation that, that is uh, going to change in, in terms of gender equality and gender equality considerations, you, you, will, um, you will have, um, you've always had additional points for, for male-female distinction. Um, although, again, it's also under the, on the horizon and a possibility from some of, of the interested parties that there will be no distinction. So there's a lot of uncertainty going around with, with these new codes, but um, the, the, main, the main contentious point from what we've experienced is definitely the ownership and then the changing of the, the different levels um, and their point scoring. So what would have been a level four in terms of, of your point scoring would now be the equivalent of a level five because all these weightings have changed across the levels. I was reading something that I maybe shouldn't be trawling around on the internet, but it says... The thing I was reading says, and I'm quoting, it says, one of the more serious errors in the code is the calculation of employment equity. The amended codes no longer use percentages of black as defined and adjustment for gender, but now refer to population groups. Mm. So now they've split. It's not just black and white. It's mm. now black and white and everything in between is all separate now. Yes. Um, as I say, um, the what we understand, the, the modus operandi for that was to align with the new labor laws in terms of gender equality, that there shouldn't be any distinction between uh, male and female. And under the old codes, you got, um, for lack of a better phrase, more, point for, more points for females from designated groups than what you got for, for males, uh, their male equivalents. So it's, it's what the... We assume that the, the, the thoughts behind it was really to align with those thoughts, but um, that is a contentious issue. And how that will affect um, specific regions of our country that, that have different population groups uh, residing there and, and the points uh, not, being, not being measured in terms of the broad-based principle um, would definitely blur the lines. Right, so Lorna, I'm, I'm trying to find out more about this out the box. I like being out the box. <laughs> Tell me yeah. some more out the box. Well, the reality is that most companies aren't. I mean, and, and mm. that, that really is the issue if you think about it. Everybody follows. I mean, there's this whole thing, you know, humans are sheep. They follow each other. They do what someone's done before. And, and unfortunately, you know, globally, that's, that's the case. So in order to think out of the box, you generally need to have somebody else come in who can see things, see what you're doing in a different light. Because people have been in the box for so long, they can't see further than the... Exactly. That. I mean, we've all heard of you kind of can't see the wood for the trees. Yes. And it's exactly that. Someone else comes in, uh, it's, you know, you've got a relationship, you talk to a friend about the relationship, they give you advice, good or bad, at least it's different. Um, and it's exactly the same thing with anything to do with business. And, and BEE in particular, you know, people think, oh, um, I'm never going to do the, the ownership. And yet, if you just think about it differently, there could be another way of doing it. Uh, skills develop, well, all of the issues. I mean, it's all, all the same, really. It's, it's a case of thinking about it in a different way um, because people don't understand what they've got. You know, we all have such fantastic opportunities. If only we could widen our, our view, our worldview, 
and and see things slightly differently. And I think that's the key. Now, I know you're going to be facilitating the symposium. Is this what you do on a daily basis anyway? Well, I wouldn't say daily basis. Well, it's more regular. It's regularly, basis. absolutely, mm. yes. No, certain, certainly that's what we regularly do. It's it's really all about going into a company, asking them the right questions. Because at the end of the day, getting someone to see something differently isn't about telling them what to do. It's about asking them a question that makes them think. And and that's that's what most people forget. It's not what you know, it's what you can ask about. Because we don't know all the answers, but we know how to make people think about the answers. And at the end of the day, it has to be a two-way thing because you know what it's like. I don't know about you, but certainly if someone tries to tell me what to do, what am I going to do? I'm going to say no chance, okay? But if you ask me a question and you lead me with a set of questions so that I can think to myself, ah, this is what I need to do, then I'm a lot more likely to do it. And it's those questions that open up the dialogue, not only with management or directors or owners of a company, but also with people lower down in the company. And it's all really only about asking questions and getting people to think for themselves. And once you start getting people to do that, they can come together and work out a solution that works for everybody, enables them to meet the codes and grow the company and increase the profit and all the things that companies want to do. It's always much better to come to your own decision than Absolutely. to get someone telling you what your decision is. It, look, you know. my experience, you cannot tell someone no. you, you know it's well well you can but it's not going to work no i mean i can almost guarantee that it has to be a yeah someone who really doesn't know what they're doing if, if you're going to tell them but the majority of people you need to ask them a set of questions they come to their own conclusions they can take it forward in their own way so that's facilitation effectively it's asking those questions making sure that people get the opportunity to enter into the conversation and again i mean that's that's really what the symposium is all about enabling people to enter the conversation as opposed to just telling which is not going to work. Yeah. Well, if you need to ask us some questions, you can call us on 0892 10 2010. 0892 10 I know it's a slightly different show this evening. It's not like we normally focus on your questions on employment issues or whatever the issues are, but this is something we felt was rather important because it is something that's going to be quite big and it's going to change a lot of people's lives and they're going to have to think about things, as Lorna says, outside the box mm. and um, maybe make for a better working environment. So it's something mm -hmm. we all need to be aware of. So that's why we're talking about this tonight. Yes, maybe, Nicolene. Maybe I, maybe I can just add this. Um, we find and, and we, we serve a lot of clients with, with BE um, strategies and implementing all these legal documents that you need to build up in order to score your points that we were talking about. And we often do that with, with Lorna and sales partners um, in terms of, of them facilitating the, the conversations that need to happen in order to actually implement all these strategies. And um, we often find that, that companies are compliant um, without knowing to mm. a large extent that they mm. are. Um, you, you send your staff on training, you mentor many of your staff, you mentor many other people in your industries, but you don't keep a record, mm. which means you're throwing your points to the wind. Um, and that's by, by, by just taking it back to the scorecard, that's skills development. Mm. Uh, many times you, you feel out of the goodness of your heart to donate that little bit of money to a charitable organization. And if you donate it to the right organization that gives you a BE certificate um, or a, a document proving your, your spend there, then you can score those points. 
Um, and similarly with, with many of the other structures, some of the things are, are happening in the normal case, in the normal course of business every day, but purely because structures, systems, processes, and documents are not in place, um, the points are, are being thrown to the wind. This for sounds lack like of a lot of word. paperwork, though. Unfortunately, it is, especially uh, the larger the company, um, then then it, it becomes pretty much, I, I like to compare it always to an audit. You need to keep your documents, then the verification agent then ultimately acts as the auditor and they make sure that you haven't cheated on any points and they make sure that, that the score or the rating you get at the end of the day is authentic. So that's why it's so important. And if you implement it slowly and, and whoever staff member or whichever a staff member is responsible for a certain function already inherent to the business, adding one system and some paperwork to it um, is a bit of a painful exercise when you start doing it. But once the, the ball is rolling, it, it really, it works really well. And of course, later on, as the business grows, so does your board and your board starts having subcommittees around various issues like remuneration strategies within the business and policies surrounding that and how you reward your staff for performance on board level and on other managerial and, and junior level. So some of these functions become almost a natural flow of things and exactly it's just it's good accountability effectively yes. mm. you know you need to have a set of accounts you need to be audited once you get to a certain size and it's exactly the same thing i mean for instance one of the things we're doing as part of the symposium is that you'll get a be certificate and a public benefit organization tax certificate from the ubuntu foundation whom we're going to donate some of the money to so i mean that's great we're calling it bee in motion we kind of like mm -hmm. the, the sort of tagline there sounds really great and yeah it, i mean it, it's really a case of collecting those things and don't just lose it would. after you've been to the symposium Ab absolutely <laughs> give it into your 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 accountability or put it in a person. file or something put it in a file make sure that you you've got it there for when your your person comes in to check you don't stuff it in the cubby hole on the way home in the car and then forget absolutely. you put it in there and then it absolutely. kind of disappears that's exactly so it's also responsibility yeah accountability and responsibility absolutely yeah well, we've got about 15 minutes left if you have any more questions i know you've all been listening this evening you can call us now quickly before the end of the show Oh eight nine two ten twenty ten oh eight nine two ten twenty ten. Do you have a question here? It says, if I'm mentoring candidates for professional registration, how do I calculate the rand value of that mentorship? Uh, on which industry would construction? Would, construction. Well, um, mentorships have to be recorded with um, a formal agreement, a mentorship or apprentice agreement. Um, those are usually readily available from your verification agent that you'll be using. Um, or on, on the relevant website, whether this is construction, but in any, any other uh, accredited um, body um, in, in terms of your specific, um, your specific industry. So those points have to be, uh, well, firstly, you have to have an agreement for, for the, the mentorship in place. You have to have detailed outcomes in terms of uh, what you'll be talking about, what you'll be training on, and how you'll measure skills transfer. So very much like your employees and measuring 
key performance indicators or KPIs as we refer to them. It's a very similar uh, type of, of um, record that you'll have to keep. And then, of course, minutes of every meeting for the, that uh, mentorship that you um, that you have. So it depends on the size of the business and the scoring will, will also be dependent then on, on QEC full compliance level. So spend is only one of, of the portions of, for consideration. What happens if people aren't compliant? What are the ramifications? Yes, that, that's the <laughs> word I was looking for. Thank you. Well, um, let's let's quickly look at the levels. You get scored from a level one in terms of the old codes now for a minute, um, right through to a level eight, and then you fall off the radar as non-compliant. Um, level one is a hundred plus points. Level two between eighty-five and ninety-nine comma nine-nine, and so it, it decreases in ten-point increments up until level eight, that is between thirty and thirty-nine comma nine-nine. So you you essentially um, you get scored on a level, and if you don't comply, in other words, if you don't um, if you can't tally points to be on level eight, which is pretty bad on on the scorecard anyway um, industry standard at this point depending of course in, in which industry you belong it's around about level between level uh, level one is the ideal but between level two and five is is reasonable um, but again some industries are very competitive so construction for example level five is on the worst side if if that makes sense so if you don't comply um, and you're in the business of construction with tenders, um, and that's where the bulk of your business comes from, you'll find that your competitors are having levels one and two and three, and every time you tender, you just you just won't have any success. So it, it will touch your pocket at the end of the day. So there's no penalty or fine or any, any repercussion. You just won't get the work. You just won't get the work. And... It's structured in such a way that government need not enforce or police this. Um, eventually, private sector will do that themselves because as we look at the elements, we are scored on internal relations and external relations and humanitarian considerations. So we scored on what we do for the community. We scored on how we engage with our suppliers, how we engage with small businesses that may or may not be our suppliers, and we get scored on how we run our businesses internally. So at the end of the day, uh, you may be able to run it internally and get away with it, but later on, the people you buy from um, or sell to from a supplier perspective will start looking elsewhere because they are trying to build their scores. And they're, they're trying not getting to any points from you. Exactly. So it was structured purposefully in that way so that eventually those that do not want to comply will simply drop off the radar in terms of doing business. Right. We have Edward in Pretoria. Edward, good evening. How are you, Karen? Very well, thank you. How are you? Lovely man, I thank you so much for the show. Uh, Karen, it is my understanding that the whole actual issue of PEE mainly is actual also to reduce the red tape on small businesses, EMEs and QSEs. Uh, now I think the EMEs uh, uh, don't need the B certificate per se. They can go to police station and get Abitavis. And mm -hmm. therefore, secondly, uh, uh, isn't actually a loophole whereby now uh, big companies may actually tend to divide uh, they are actually corporates into 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 different companies in order to avoid the full compliance. 
like making them to be QSEs. As you are a, a, a guest in the studio said, now the, the threshold has moved to 50 million. Mm. mean that the company which is actually making turnover of less than 50 million don't have to comply with all the elements as in the previous code. Uh, in my opinion, I feel there is a loophole whereby people may tend to divide their companies uh, into smaller units to actually circumvent a uh, full compliance. It's a very good point, and I'm very glad you've brought it up. Um, actually, the legislator foresaw people would would potentially do that and uh, divide the big pie into smaller slices, so to speak, and uh, there's actually a provision against that. Um, fronting has also been elaborated and more stringent measures to police and enforce any transgressions involving fronting or window dressing in any way or form. So companies that want to do that will have to be very careful on how they do that and to do that lawfully in terms of the code. So that is that is one of the loopholes that I think they they um, they have addressed quite successfully. They've also regulated foreign-owned companies and and how their scoring would work a little better than the previous code. So not all not all negative um, aspects in terms of the new codes, but EMEs and as for their scoring and their exemption, um, it, it's good um, in one sense uh, that that EMEs are exempt from having to spend the money to get those certificates, mm. but. Um, I don't know how, how industry will perceive that. And as a business owner myself, I must say that I'll be very reluctant to uh, accept a certificate f on an affidavit basis um, from one of my suppliers. I would, in fact, prefer a formal certificate from, from an accounting officer as per the previous regulations, purely to protect myself and my business from those who are not compliant and who manage to uh, produce documents uh, that are misleading. So whether industry is actually going to accept that regulation, I, I'm, I'm quite doubtful. Yeah, because I am actually uh, IRPA uh, approved registered okay. auditor. I did attend the uh, EE workshop mm -hmm. uh, whereby we, the whole issue of new codes was actually uh, presented by the DTI. And DTI okay. specifically requested us to stop issuing actually BE certificates to EMEs. Yes. In, in essence, they requested us to stop actually charging EMEs yes. uh, uh, to pay for those certificates with, a, with an objective of reducing the red tape. Now, yes. as you said, I mean, then the industry is actually they don't accept those affidavits. No. But the new code says definitely they can go to police station yes. and just actually state under oath that they actually they are black. Yes. Well, I think it is a contravention. I think it needs to be to be actually clearly communicated and and, and, and and the people be educated properly about the spirit and the direction of the new code. Yes, definitely. I think they, there's a very good thought behind it from the DTI's perspective to reduce the red tape and the costs, as you say, for EMEs. I, I fully support that. I think um, our small businesses are already overburdened with compliance costs for regulations and all of that. Um, but whether the regulations have uh, streamlined and have actually um, effectively given them an alternative where the supplier can trust the document, I'm, I'm, I'm not, unfortunately, in my opinion, I, I, I can't, can't support that. Edward, thank you very much. You brought up a very interesting question. Thanks for getting through to us this evening.
Thank you so much. Thanks, Bye. Edward. Good night, Good night Bye -bye. to you. Um, Eason in Vereniging. Oh, no. Hang on. Wait. Eason in Vereniging, are you with us? No. Eaton's disappeared. We'll have to try and get Eaton back. Um, yeah, that, that whole thought, I hadn't even thought of that, that people would start wanting to slice up the pie. Unfortunately, um, we, we've had a few few requests and a few comments in, in some of the groups and I too attended a seminar in, in the last week and um, it also came up there where many, con many business owners are actually considering that alternative and it's quite clear from the spirit and the contents of the codes that if you want to slice up the pie, you need to do it for a legitimate lawful reason, not to avoid compliance. It's, it's similar to uh, tax avoidance. Um, it's in the same category. So be careful if you are mm. considering that as an alternative. Make sure that, that you do it properly and mm. you do it lawfully. Right. Let's see. I think we have Eason back on the line. Eason, good evening. Good evening. Hello. There you are. Kim, how can we help you this evening? No, I'm still listening about, about the issue of affidavity. Yes. Yes, sir. Uh, that, uh, that, that issue, when we submit in other uh, 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 departments, they say no. They don't know about the issue of uh, affidavity. They scratch it. They need a triple PEA. Mm. Yes, but we know the law says mm. we, must, uh, we must put the affidavity. The affidavity is, stand, is, stand, uh, is replaced the, the, the triple PEA. Yes. Yes, sir. Now, as, as I was saying, unfortunately, the, the codes make provision for the affidavit option in order to reduce the costs for um, EMEs in, in scorecard language um, to, to uh, basically reduce their, their costs for compliance. But I personally, besides my own opinion on, on the topic, as I've already expressed it, um, some most other other businesses feel the same that they they prefer the certificate above the affidavit um purely to protect themselves and to prevent um to prevent any discrepancies in their own scoring so we'll have to wait and see how how this uh, pans out Ethan sorry we couldn't help you further but thank you for getting through to us uh very squeeze one last call in very quickly Mary in Cape Town good evening Hello Mary for taking my oh, call. There you are. Hello. Hello. Um, I just want to ask you at the symposium in June, would there be room for um, a beneficiary to have a voice, a BBEE beneficiary? In what sense? Um, well, um, I'm I'm putting from an organisation that um, has been affected by the new codes. Mm -hmm. We're a non-profit company, but actually the codes are in our favour because um, we help. Um, young uh, black South African women to own their own businesses at a from a BOP level up. Oh, fantastic! And um, they are sole traders, and we have a whole system, in, and 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 it involves skills development. We mm. have a um, broad-based ownership scheme, BBOS. Yes. Um, and we have um, so we can offer a lot of points to an organisation that would like to invest in our women mm. um, as our beneficiaries, and. Um, it, I just wondered whether there was room at your um, symposium for, for an organization like ours to um, showcase itself as one of South Africa's very successful um, non-profit companies that is actually offering um, a menu of points and, and doing what the, what the codes were designed to do. 
Can I make a suggestion, Mary? It would be really fantastic if you could contact us offline and we can have a further discussion about this to see whether or not we can accommodate you. Because I think we'd need to know quite a bit of information uh, before we could really make a decision. But it'd be fabulous to, have a dis fabulous to have a discussion with you and perhaps maybe even to have you on one of our panels. Yes, well, our CEO, who is, um, um, uh, she's a CA and, 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 a, and, a, and a wonderful speaker, would be the one to mm. possibly um, talk to, and I, I'd love to set that up. Fantastic. Okay, um, Mary, you've got, we've got your phone number. I think it's a cell number you've left with our producer. Um, it's a landline. Oh, a landline. Okay, yeah. okay, I'll pass that on to Nicolene and Thank to you. Lorna, and they will be in touch with you. Thank yes. you. Great, right. well, thanks for getting thanks. through, Mary. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye now. Bye. See, that, that's a very positive way to end off the show because it's all been this doom and gloom and oh my goodness and it's all these things and, and there was a nice positive thing. No, absolutely. And, yeah. and, and another positive thing is don't forget anyone who wants to come along, if they go along to Quicket and uh, uh, Google triple B-E-E and type in the code Club SAFM, they can get an extra 10% off. So absolutely, before Friday. Thing. Before Friday. Before Friday. And, and that is the Facebook page is triple B-E-E Symposium. Yes. And all the documentation, lots of other information, it's all Yes, including there. the ticket portal. So if you've forgotten the, the link to the ticket portal, it's on there as well. Right. And this just to give people some... Just a reminder, it's the 10th of June, is it? Yes. At the Cape Town Club. Yes. Okay. And is there a limited number of, of people that you are having? Absolutely. So it's, you it's better a, move yourself, basically. You, you really do need to move yourself. <laughs> it's a maximum of 100 people, but um, that also includes the speakers and other people we've got involved. So uh, it's probably only about 60 or 70 people we can actually wow. have attend. Okay. So it's not a lot at all. You might have to do this again, you know. Well, that's fine. <laughs> we can do that. Because by the sounds of it, there's a, a need to understand. Oh, and that was the main motivation mm. for us having it in the first place, to help businesses think out of the box and to, to, to realize it's not about ticking boxes. It's really about embedding it in your strategy and most of the things you are actually already doing. So just, you just don't know you're score doing the yeah. points. Let's help you score the points. Right, and make a whole life a whole lot easier. Well, my thanks once again this evening to Nicolene Skumanlo, Director of Skuman Chaka Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries Public Practicing here in Cape Town, and Lorna Power, Director of Sales Partners Cape Town, and they've been my guests on tonight's edition of the Law Report program. Thank you, both of you, very Thank much you. indeed for your Thank time. You very Thank you. Much. Thank you. The Law Report is on the air on SAFM every Monday evening between nine and ten. And a reminder that there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page, Law on SAFM. If you'd like any of them, post a message on Facebook. But please remember to include your email address, or if you don't have access to Facebook, you can email me on law at safm.co.za, and I can send you a copy of the list so you can choose what you want. Now, on the Law Report next week, it's time once again for our monthly chat about property law with attorney Marlon Chevalu. So join me then. That's Monday, the 26th of May. And I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening, just after nine, with Health Matters. But Sibakhle Malinga is up next with some nighttime music. Sibakhle, good evening. <laughs>